what I did very, very badly in the past, and I'm going to admit this, and I think it's part of insecurity and part of lack of, of basically understanding, is every year as a young entrepreneur, I'd come back to my team and have this deep need in January to tell them some shit, right? <laughs> so I had to come up with like, it's actually, when I look back, it's so stupid, I kept changing the strategy. I was, no, now we're going there. And now we're going there. And every year I kept moving the direction. So, so if this was like a movie, everyone would be running this way and then, and then they'd be running that way and then, like, and then they'd get all confused. So what's happened, especially over the last maybe seven, eight years, is I've matured quite a bit. And that tenure changes very, very little. If I showed you it from five years ago to this year, to the untrained eye, you wouldn't see it look the same. The five-year changes a little bit more, and of course the one-year is where, where, the, where the big change happens. Does this story sound familiar? That's the voice of Alon Ray, CEO of RaceCorp, during a deep-dive event in Johannesburg, South Africa. During each event, Alon, along with Kumar and Padiachi and Mark Levy, both seasoned entrepreneurs and business leaders, offer candid but thoughtful, nuanced and experienced-backed insights to help us with day-to-day dilemmas that we as entrepreneurs experience. During this event, they discuss their experiences with strategy, its development and implementation. So coming to the Spartan story is that when I acquired the business, we were dealing with the public sector and corporates, 85-90% of our our customer base. We were doing well, but if I close my eyes and I look to the future 10, 20, 30 years out, I could see this would not go well. This was before the Gupta shit and all that, right? And and so I could see that this is, you know, where things are, are happening. I couldn't feel in, in control or with any certain predictability on our levers for growth. That made me, made me feel very anxious. So I went with this EO thing, went and studied up a bit on strategy and whatever, got some mentorship on it. And the brass tacks of all of that were some choices. Strategy comes down to some tough, tough choices. And so this is where it led to was that the first thing we said, we were walking away from corporate and public sector and we're focusing... 100% on SMEs as a target market. Now, imagine you're doing well, you're making good profit, you buy this business, which I did, and I paid off the acquisition in three years from borrowing from the banks, largely. So you know that target markets work for you. Now to have the decision to walk away from the public sector and corporate market and focus on SME, that was a tough choice. I didn't have the courage initially to do that. And so the strategy prof that was advising me said, go for that. That's what the strategy says. Make that call and do it. I said, no, I'll do 90% focus on SME and 10% focus on corp. He says, but why are you doing that? I'm saying, well, I don't want to throw away what we're doing well with. You know, it's easy to change a strategy if you effed up and things are not going well. But if it's okay, you want to maintain what you got. You want to have both. And after six months, I realized the wisdom because we had a, a limited set of resources capacity, and, and yet if you're servicing an SME market and a corporate market, it's two different sales team, two different sets of marketing, two different credit process, two different funding strategies. It's two different businesses. We couldn't really get traction everywhere. And also what happened in the organization, they thought, oh, okay, there's no real big strategies change here because we're still really doing both. You know, we're doing... And so six months later, we knew we had to make the tough choice to like just can that. And that was, that was a very painful lesson. I don't advocate it to anybody to like do that harsh kind of change because you're basically 
kill your business and, re- and rebuild it, you know. Um, Kamara, when you did that, was your sense you were playing chess? Were you playing the long game? Did you know the rules? Did you know the unknowns? Were you playing checkers? Were you playing poker? Did you think of it in that context? In that context, kind of yeah, because the complexity is like, right, so checkers is, chess is more complex. I thought I was playing chess because I was definitely playing the long game. As a, as a, someone that's got a lot of uh, legs in front of them, I thought, okay, I'm playing a 20, 30 year game. So I thought I was playing chess, but in reality, there were so many unknowns that I was playing a bit of both. Yeah. And I only realized that the worst thing is to be in a game that you don't know you, you're in. You think you're playing chess, you know, someone's playing poker yeah, with yeah. you. And, and I'll admit that it was, it was both. Have you ever typed into the Google search bar, what is business strategy? If you're in any way serious about business, then of course you have. Do you remember how many results came up? 1,580,000,000. With that many opinions on this one subject, it's little wonder we break into cold sweats as we approach our company's next strategic breakaway weekend. Today's Deep Dive series podcast focuses on the question, so what is business strategy really? The famed business thinker, author, and management consultant Peter Drucker once stated that strategy is a commodity. He would also go on to share that there is nothing so useless as doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. We've already heard both Alon and Kumaran share that they were doing things that should not have been done. Let's continue listening as they describe their next steps and learning. A note, all books and resources mentioned are linked to on the raisecorp.com podcast page. To be honest, Mark, it's something I've battled with for most of my entrepreneurial journey. In the beginning, I had sort of a view that strategy was this thing, and then you find it, and then like you're all-knowing, and it all works out after that. Because once you understand strategy, it becomes easy. Because that's just the missing thing. So I started reading book after book after book after book on strategy, and nothing ever, ever resonated with me. It sounded like just fancy words around a plan. Another way to say a plan, a plan, a plan, a plan, a plan. And two books then shaped my thinking around strategy. The one was by a guy called Richard Rommelt called mm. Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. Where once I read that book, I, I got it. It's, I'm not saying it'll resonate with you, but I'm saying for me it resonated. The other one was Play to Win by Leffler. Those two books I read in a very short period of time, and they triangulated... For me, so so what my belief is, what strategy is, is an executed plan. What Richard Rommel says is that you can come up with any plan. If it's not executed, it's a bad strategy. You can have so-called very good strategy that's not executed, and that's bad strategy. And you have, can have really so-called very bad strategy, and you execute on it, and that's good strategy. So the execution, the action taking, is the important thing. The reason why they say that is once you start to execute. You go into iterative mode, you start to iterate from that, you learn, you have your feedback loops and you start the ball rolling and you go into learning from your mistakes. To me, that's quite informative. My last maybe point on this is I've got a mentor and he's very, very into his cooking. And I watched how he cooks. This guy's a super, super successful human being. And I watched how he cooks and I took that as a metaphor for strategy. So... He sort of is making this this curry. So he's got all this stuff all sort of prepared, 
And then, so, and he's literally, there's no, it's not this fine, on the teaspoon, it's not, it's just, we'll have some chicken, and then we're going to have some of this, and a bit of that, and that, and he puts it all into the pot, because his end result is he wants a great curry, and everything's quite chunky, and then he takes the spoon and he tastes it, and he goes, ah, he needs more of this, and he needs more of that. And to me, I use that as a metaphor for strategy, because the, the sense is that that there is this exact plan that you've got to follow. And the truth is that once we hit, you know, once you hit reality, there's a whole bunch of things you could not foresee. And it's about then, okay, adding more salt or pepper, or it's a bit too salty, add more water, or whatever the case may be. And that to me is where I've got to, is where strategy is. In my library, I have a big library at home. Most of the books are either on leadership or on strategy. And the reason is that that's where I felt most inadequate insecure or having the biggest uh, lack of understanding. So you tend to fill up your library with stuff you want to read on those two topics. Initially, I did the studies on it. You do well in exams on the strategy. And you think that means if you do academically well on the topic, you know what's happening. I didn't know what the, you know, was, uh, <laughs> was going on. And, and, and now my deduction, you know, is there's two things. There's this lady that wrote a paper called uh, Fictual Thinking, uh, Entrepreneurial Thinking at Harvard. And I like the way she talks about entrepreneurial approach to strategies. That a corporate person normally says, this is the goal. They rewind back to say, I can't start without these resources, without this capacity. I need this to achieve this goal. An entrepreneur thinks, this is all I have. What can I cook up with this and make happen? And so they take this and they make it to that point. They expand those resources and take that and make it to that point. It's a completely reverse order thinking about how you go about strategy. And that is why in what he's describing, his initial journey in strategy and also mine, I think for most of us, we're not approaching it with this academic formal way because, because our thinking as entrepreneurs is very different. Because if it was, I need these resources to start, to get the, you'll never start. We start with what we have. We reverse, we're wired in a different way. And then the, the, my latest thinking on this thing is that you have a set of resources, this is what's happening in the environment, and this is where I want to go. How can I make good with what I got, given the ship that's going down here to where I want to go? So there's always this environmental thing. Okay, so they've offered us a cornerstone from which to measure and build. For us as entrepreneurs, strategy is an executed plan. In this plan, we use any and all resources at our disposal to get to our first milestone. From this point, we reassess and execute again, all the while being sure we are very aware of our environment and the changes that may occur therein. So having heard their experiences, how do Elon and Kumaran approach strategy now? I'll, I'll tell you what's, what's been very interesting. We've got three levels of how we think. There's a long-term vision, which is a visual representation of what we want to produce in 10 to 20 years. So one slider, that's it. It's quite simple. I'll come back to that. The second one is called the LFF, which is a letter from the future, which is a five-year written document. My five-year written document is 27 pages. And I write from the future to the present. It's a, it's a tome. It's boring. It's a, but it is so detailed. And then your budget is the financial representation of the next one year. So you've got three, basically, milestones to the future. One year, which is financials, is your budget. Five-year, which is a, quite a lot of detail in the long term. Each of the department heads gets 12 to, to 16 strategic objectives for the year. 
and then we and they put that into which quarter, and we manage that on a quarterly basis, and they expose that to their team in what we call a twelve plus one, which is the thirteenth week. And then that's then the team understands what that strategy is for that department. That department aligns to the company, which aligns to the long-term vision. So the whole thing is structured. So I'm feeling incredibly insecure at the moment oh. because <laughs> I don't have a ten-year plan. Is anyone in this? How many people in this room have a ten-year plan? For their businesses, that is written down. It's really interesting. How many have a five-year plan? I've got one person nodding in the room. I think I'm going to just bring it back full circle, but I think it goes to this idea that as entrepreneurs, we do way too much stuff in our heads and way too little written down. I mean, I don't know many businesses of any size that have a 10-year written down plan. Five years written. Pictorial is the... Oh, sorry, a picture was... Pictures for 10 years and a 27-page document for five years. Yeah. I mean, that's quite extraordinary because that's enormous. It takes a lot of work, right? You guys are going away. Your team's going away. You're doing this work. You, you know, that structure is a big investment in resources and time and money and effort to produce. Has it worked? Are you where you want to be? I'm never where I want to be. Okay, I'm never where I want to be. Anyone who works in RaceCorp knows that. Okay, <laughs> like... like but are we building out all the pieces, the assets, what are the process assets, the brand assets, all the different assets as pieces towards a bigger strategy? Yes. So coming back into the strategy, if we're using chess, I'm of the view that even the metaphor that we're using tonight is the wrong thing because I want to have the ability to actually print pieces. So on that chessboard of 64 pieces, I want to be able to print a couple of other rooks you know, I want some advantages in this. So that to me is what we, you build out those assets as part of your advantage towards when you're moving into a certain market or in a certain direction, you start to build now for, for that. And that takes time. And I've been around long enough, I've got enough gray hair to know how long it takes to actually produce those yeah. assets. Yeah. Kamaran then asks us all a very important question. You'll find in the early stage, the, the informal ones, the early startup, they're not focused. So, and it's understandable. We were also not focused. You're like, in the beginning, you need to put food on the table. So it's like, I'll do that, that, that. What do you want me to be? I'm going to be it to put to earn the money, right? Anything legal for cash. And yes. And that's to be expected. And then after you're like surviving and you're eating and you're paying other people's meals or whatever, then you could lift your head up and look to the future and get a bit more purposeful and, and focused because you have the luxury to afford that. So all entrepreneurs have that journey. It's interesting to see. When the ones that we interview on the TV show are more in this, anything goes, brew, tell me what I need to do. Okay. And the ones we end up funding in the business are, are a lot more, not, not really too focused, but a lot more focused. So I would say around the model is more the focus. Are you focused or are you doing anything legal for cash? As heard, there's no right or wrong answer, but there is, however, a need to have a real understanding of where you are in order to have a solid footing from which to launch towards the future. That said, there definitely are some right and wrong approaches to successful strategy development and growth. Listen to these red flags and harder realities. Well, what's stopping their, them and their businesses defining the strategy, understanding the rules, putting in the work? In my view, it's, a, it's the seriousness to which the player is playing the game. Most businesses don't think about this stuff so seriously. That's what I would say. And Alon, what do you think? Many entrepreneurs start off with the gift of the gap that they can speak the speak and they, uh, they can tell the story and then they get a little bit of traction and then 
that takes them to a certain point. But they've actually bullshitted themselves enough to think that that is enough to build this, this big game. And then there's this big chasm between now what it requires from a work point of view to do the work to actually build that, that business to that point. You can watch it and they run off and, and fall off and die. They don't go past that chasm. The second thing from a, just a structural point of view is in South Africa in particular, entrepreneurs are given way too much celebrity status and, and the sense is that I just started a business and then I'm going to be rich. There's this sense that it's easy and most people don't get how, actually how hard it is. At 11 o'clock at night or 12 o'clock at night, I can call Kamara because I know he's awake working because I am too and he'll call me and we've had incidents over the years where at 11 he says I'm coming over I need to deal with something and, and I'm awake and we'll come and we'll, we'll talk about it and vice versa the last thing here is obsession I That's think right. if they don't have obsession almost to the point of unhealthy it's almost to the point of unhealthy to me I don't think that you can win passion and, is not good enough and, and, and I want to just I'm going to put Dave on the spot here one of my big party tricks is at 11 o'clock at night, I will WhatsApp Dave, and I'll say, what do the figures look like? I'll get a whole thing. He knows what's going on. He's obsessed with this business. That's why, to me, this is a great business. Not necessarily just because of the strategy, but coming back to the obsession of, of the person who's driving it. Without that, you want to invest, I want to invest. Yeah. You can't build a big business, I don't think. Can you remember seeing that movie, Any Given Sunday? With Al Pacino, he gives that famous kind of cheesy speech about any given Sunday, the man is going to fight the hardest, is going to sacrifice the most. If we all have the same strategy and resources, is that what's going to fight the hardest to make something happen? So it's that the seriousness of the player. And is that rare? Very rare. Our strategy development curry is beginning to take shape. The flavors are beginning to develop. Let's see what other ingredients we can put into the pot before bringing it all the way to the boil. There's a book called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. Rockefeller was the wealthiest man in the world, even richer than Jeff, the Amazon guy now, but he died a long time ago. He was Mr. Oil. And they studied him and then they wrote a book about some of his habits. And they also studied what is the big barriers to scale. And they looked there in the US, the same stats are applicable here more or less, 28 million businesses in America. You can translate it to here. 96% of those 28 million, 96% do a turnover less than a million dollars. Call it less than 10 million rand. It's not quite the exchange rate, but I'll just use that number. 96, so in South Africa, if we use the same stats, it's probably not entirely true, but 96% of businesses do a turnover less than 10 million rand. And that's it. They'll never go above. And the three barriers to growth, the one is a leadership team. You know, you ask the question, is, it, uh, is that rare? It is rare. Because the leadership team, that's us and our team, we are our own barriers. Second is the strategy and the market access and all of that. And the third is scalable infrastructure, so your capacity, your process and systems and all of that. But we are our first limitation on any business. It's very rare. Interesting. And Alon, when you talk about strategy and you talk about the businesses you're looking at, what are most people playing? When you look at them, you're asking yourself, like, do they get it? What are most entrepreneurs do you see actually experiencing? What most people are playing, in my opinion, is checkers up front. And the checkers up front is around heuristics, right? So you create this vision. I've got these heuristics about what I think 
are the way the world works and how I respond to them. And then you've also got my values. So when something comes to me, I test it against those three. And I go, well, it doesn't meet my vision. And I'm coming back to that. It doesn't meet my values or it doesn't meet my my heuristics or how I think that it doesn't meet any of those. So I reject it. So it's very simple decision making. The problem is that when we start off in, in the game, what Kumaran said, we all things to all people, anything legal for cash. So your vision is quite fluffy. Malleable. Yeah, it's malleable. Yeah. Because I need, and that's real, I need the money now. So, so they're playing checkers without one of the biggest decision making pieces, which is where do I want to go? What is winning for me? And you can't have this conversation without talking about what is winning for me or for the business. What does it mean to win? And most small businesses don't ask any of those questions. They're basically about this, I want to make money. Yeah. Okay. I, or my worst of all, I want to be the most recognized brand in my industry. That's just ego, ego, ego. Let's recap. Number one, if you are doing a control-out-delete to your strategy every year, you are likely putting your business and team on the back foot over and over and over again. Two, the best strategy is an executed one, where feedback loops emerge, pivots occur relative to these, assets and unique advantages are built out, and momentum is developed. And number three, some of the struggles that Alon, Kumaran and Mark have experienced and are now able to see in others include a lack of focus, a lack of seriousness and true commitment, the inability or lack of desire to learn and grow, small-time thinking versus big-time obsession, and uninspiring or flimsy answers to that key question, what is winning to me? As you hear that, do any of those shoes fit? This is coming together nicely and the smell of strategy curry is beginning to waft up and down the corridors of your business. It was at about this time when the floor was opened up to those in attendance for the Q&A and discussion portion of the evening. To the question, who do you consider strategists worth learning from? This is what they shared. The big one is jobs. I don't own an Apple product at all. <laughs> I, I, will, I refuse to own an Apple product. To me, what was so genius about what he did was he, he created a system and locked you into that system. He, he put some breadcrumbs there and, and you, you came in and once you're in, you're locked and you couldn't get, it was so hard to leave. There was absolute genius in how he thought about connectivity between all these things. Bezos is, is also uh, has to be one of the top ones. And locally, I would say that Joffe uh, with Bitvest was very clever in terms of how he, how he built. If you think about the Bitvest story, love them or hate them, they built a massive business, relatively speaking, very, very quickly. You know, you've got these, these businesses that you think are new, but they've been around for 40 or 50 years. That business grew incredibly quickly. It takes a huge amount of thinking to do that. Yeah, yeah I've got, got a long list. Uh, <laughs> Amazon, Alibaba, Standard Oil. Talk about Amazon. Just, just why, from a strategic point of view, Oh, this man, I must buy his book uh, called Everything Storm. It's a long, it's a biography. He's ruthlessly mercenary, which is not something to emulate. But what I love is their strategy and how they're playing a poker game. He's played the long, long, long game. He's not scared of making losses to outlast everyone else. So there's always a proxy thing that he's dealing with, you know. And so he, he, sometimes he will spell out what the strategy is, but often really when you read the shareholders' letters and not, not you have to infer, because he's not going to publish 
the secrets on, on the tablets, right? He's got to keep that close to his chest. But look at things, for example, like uh, the diapers uh, thing. You know, they wanted to buy this diapers business, diapers.com, many years ago. These guys didn't want to sell to them. So they offered them a price. They didn't want to sell to them. So he went into the diapers business and he dropped the hell out of the price. He was losing like whatever the number was, $100 million a year at a time on selling diapers. So it's like, Mark, I want to buy your business. I'm offering you a great price. You say no. I start this thing and I undercut you. Then afterwards you stuff. You have to, okay, you can say that's ruthless or whatever it is, but just take the emotion out of it. As a strategy, <laughs> as a strategy, you see what, but also as a meta game in poker now, what that said to everyone else, because that $100 million that he wasted in losses to break him, plus the $500 million that he paid for it, which he did, and then he shut it down. But what he told to everyone else, don't fuck with me, because if I can lose $100 million going to war with you and then still buy you for 545 and shut it down, when I come into your backyard, you've got to be scared. Again, take the emotions out or whatever it is. It's a, it's a poker kind of game, so it's a long game. He's not shy. And what he did really well was managing his, invest, his analysts. Because you all have these teenager analysts. They want to see this quarterly results. He kind of managed them up front. Listen, we're playing the long game. Don't scrutinize me on my quarterly results. And yet this company and value went up like that. Alibaba, I like the ecosystem effect that they've done very well. They don't need to be a global business. China is a globe on its own. And the way they've gone into so many different other things. And there it's a little bit of, they started off with checkers, I think, you know, because do you know the, the third largest cloud business is Alibaba? The largest cloud company is Amazon's uh, AWS. AWS. Second is Microsoft. I thought the third was Google's cloud business is actually <coughs> Alibaba. And so they've gone into so many different verticals, but they've created this ecosystem. So def, uh, that's a prime example. Standard Oil, I want to talk about just very quickly. That's that Rockefeller gen gentleman that was the largest oil business in the world. And the U.S. government split it up into 29 different companies. Because there was, that's how this antitrust law came about. They said, you're too big, we have to break you up. And what he did is in one month, he bought, he bought 42 businesses. Yeah. Now, just imagine the thinking and the planning that goes into that. The company's name was Standard Oil, and he standardized oil. He built this blue barrel, and so the standard kind of thing is standardized pricing. And what he went and did is he tried to buy these companies off, but he bought the railways. So if you didn't want to sell the oil, again, don't judge the thing. But if you, if you didn't want to sell the company to him, then how the hell is your oil going to be transported? Because he owned the railway, you know, effectively. Let's talk about some weaklings, because this sounds aggressive, right? So let me talk about some weak. There's a company called LD. LD is a supermarket chain. There's two German brothers. Uh, you can Google it, A-L-D-I. And they're really going against war against Walmart, but they're the, the smaller one. So how do they kind of do that? They're not going to head-to-head -head war. war. What they've done is, in the U.S. especially and around the world, they, if Walmart is in Main Street, they buy in a C-grade street. Not in prime location, they buy slightly off charts and they buy a small piece of uh, property and they make the stores very, very small, low cost. So they got a very different model, not a Goliath model, a very humble kind of model and they're competing with different kind of competencies. They've done really well. You look at IKEA, have you heard of IKEA? Mm. 
that's a business that everyone's doing furniture like this. They've gone that side. You have to travel way out to get to an IKEA store. They make you bloody. They sell you the furniture in a box. You have to take it home and then like assemble it yourself. I mean, who would buy furniture like that? It's a very different. Uh, and I can I can go on, but yeah. Question: When do you know enough is enough? How do you determine whether a strategy has run its course or not? Great question. I love that. Yeah. Um, no, Colin tells me. <laughs> <laughs> the the real answer. Uh, we've made some strategic mistakes. Like we went into a certain market about four years ago. We really. It underestimated the competition, we underestimated the complexity, we underestimated a lot of things. I know when I go into anything new that I, I don't know stuff. I'm very conscious that I'm, I don't know a lot of things. So you want to give yourself enough time to say, okay, I've got a learning curve, so I'll stay in it for as long as I, there's a learning curve. And if, as that learning curve, I work out how to do it, I'll stay. So if, if, if it's becoming clearer on how to win, okay, if it was wrong, but I'm working out that how to win, then I'll stay. But if it's getting actually fuzzier, and I'm actually working out that it doesn't matter what I do, I'm on a hiding to nothing, then I'll pull. And, and that can take six weeks, it can take six months, it can take six years sometimes to, to do that. You don't know really how long it's going to take. But my, my metric is, is it getting clearer? Or is it getting? Is is it not? And if it's getting clearer, I'll stick, because then I know I'll work it out. I also back myself, and I'm revealing way too much. Colin and I are, are um, very much the antithesis of one another. So Colin sees the world from a very different point of view. We've been partners for 15 years, and I I, I think I've sort of he he sits here and I can hear his voice before I go into his office. I can hear his voice. I know what he's going to ask me. Okay, I know where he's going to come come. At. But sometimes I hope he doesn't say it. Okay, and and, and the the point is is that you've got to have counter views. So I've gone to this man. I went got, got into a business, and he said, "You're an idiot. Okay, you're an idiot to get into that business." I won't mention what business it is, and he was right. And he said, "You you've, you're going into it for all the wrong reasons." And she had seen it from a completely different perspective. So the second point, and I made the last point, is that you have to have people around you that are giving you different perspectives. I'm privileged to have Colin in my life. I'm privileged to have Kumar and, and, and Mark. These two I still meet once a month. For four hours we For meet. four hours a meet. Just talk strategy strategy, 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 strategy. Four hours a month. It's non-negotiable. So I have the safety of them saying it's a cuck idea. Okay. Give me more of your thinking. Yeah, my thing is, if you if you're more confident that you've got it early on, that's generally a clue that you don't, because there's so many things that we don't know. And what he said, there's so many things that we don't know that we don't know. If you're overconfident early on for a complicated problem, that is a complicated kind, then that's generally a clue to false confidence. And so. I like the view of getting different uh, opinions from different places. That's the one thing. So you're getting diverse uh, thinking. Yeah. And then secondly, is to take this iterative growth. Out of the start, you solve the problem, and you're always thinking, I'm continually solving this complicated problem, whatever it is, because you can never be sure if you know everything. But at least you're getting some traction, and you're iterating, you're pausing, you're prospecting, you're kind of rechecking, remediating, and you're continuing. But I think when we over sure, 
in the beginning that step aside, I got this, that's generally yeah, wrong. After hearing this, a really important question came from one of the audience members. Isn't making money evidence that my strategy is working and I should stick with it? So let me just tell you why I think that measuring by money is not necessarily the right answer. Sometimes you can lose money and still the right strategy. So if you ask Kamaran when he moved from the one market to the other for six years, I mean, we went through that with him. We thought he was mad. He was losing money based on a long-term strategy. So if you asked him at that point, is it the right strategy? If money was the metric, it's the wrong metric. By the same token, you can have a false positive early on. And many entrepreneurs, by the way, have that. That they get a false positive up front, they get a success early on, and they go, oh, there's a market here. And then they throw everything into it. So I caution you not to use money as a very sort of clean binary. Especially if you're playing the long game. Yeah, especially playing the long game. Being an entrepreneurial conversation, the question of funding came up. The answer to this question is both revelatory and potentially a wrap over the knuckles for us. Take a listen and see how you fare. The best businesses start off figuring out how to self-fund themselves, get something working, then bring some angel investors, and then start getting formal investors. This idea of have an idea, need funding before I start is bull. Most businesses, if you go and understand how they've worked, they haven't started like that. They have not. So have an idea, figure out how to get the first customers, sell something, whatever it is, get the customers to self-fund, maybe get some angel investors and slowly go from there. Only And when the timing is, is once you figure out, okay, I think I've got some traction here, now I need money to confidently put more capacity and marketing and drive that, then you should get more formalized type of... Money is overrated. I think compelling economic right to exist, it's, it's my soapbox, it's been my soapbox for many years. Compelling economic right to exist first, then money afterwards. In other words, if you've got a machine and you put 100 rand in the top and 80 rand falls out the bottom, it doesn't matter how much money you throw at that business, it's the wrong model. If the machine works where you put 100 in and 120 falls out the bottom, then that's the right machine. And you have to get the machine right first, which is the business model. The model has to make money. And then you then look for money to come in after that. And too many people are looking for the money first and then hoping they'll figure out the, the machine afterwards. You have to get the machine right. And sometimes the machine requires a certain minimum revenue to, to make it work, so which is the break-even, and you want your money to go in. But very often... When you run the numbers above the in so-called break-even, then it's a false break-even. It's not true. It hasn't taken into the cost of scale. There's a huge cost to scale the business, and people miss that. To attend a deep dive event, visit raisecorp.com, where you will find details of all upcoming gatherings, along with other interesting insights, podcasts, and resources. Alternatively, follow Raisecorp on your favorite social media platform for updates and announcements. To take us home, here are Alon and Kumaran's book and podcast suggestions, along with their final thoughts on the strategy discussion. Yeah, I want to do two things. One closing comment from both of you, but before you do that, uh, 50 odd people here, what is a book we have to read? What's a podcast we should be listening to? Just one that's a pick that you, that you like, and then maybe, maybe that, and then a closing comment. Podcast is Knowledge Project. Or the newsletter you can subscribe to is Farnham Street, F-A-R-N-A-M, Farnham Street. Every Sunday it comes into your email box. 
lovely stuff. What kind of condensed, deep learning, simplified, easy to learn. Bet my life on that one. And, and, and that's the email subscription version, but the podcast is called Knowledge Project. 45 minutes to an hour where there's a conversation with someone. Uh, books? One, one, one. Come on. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Good, good strategy, bad strategy by Richard Rumel. Same book that he spoke about. Your loss because of him. I could have told you two. Give me time. Alone? One from many, D. Huck. Oh, they built Visa, which is if you want to think about building a, a global business from nothing, it's a phenomenal business, uh, book and it's written really well. Mm-hmm. I have to put my own, uh, <laughs> my own podcast. It's called Razor's Edge, R A I Z O R S, Razor's Edge. And it's all really around uh, all elements of the entrepreneurial journey. It's not 15 minutes, it's uh, 25, 30 minutes, they're long uh, podcasts. And with Gareth and yourself. And uh, Gareth and I do it yeah, uh, t- together. Okay, closing comments. Even if I get you angry, I want to get this across. If you think about strategy, if you go back to that poker game, what's really happening is it's me against those people or me against a market. And so in strategy, you can't have a strategy discussion without understanding that those are two of the big contexts that you have to play in. If you're playing in the human behavior element and there's phenomenal stories, you either are playing a, a game where you understand people's greed, so you can manipulate the direction of that individual. To be very crude, corruption is a form of manipulating a market, right? The second one is really is ego, and people will make many decisions that are not actually logical based on, on the ego. And, you know, all our brands you know, that are made in China, but they put on the Nike brand, are a huge testimony to how people change their behavior around ego. The third is sex. You just have to watch a James Bond movie. I won't say anything more. But you can change people's behavior under the pretext that they, they'll have more sex. And then the last one is fear that you want to talk about. And if you think about what Bezos did, it was fear. Uh, if you go, go into YouTube, there's a guy called uh, Tom... Um, Wainwright. He talks about narco-economics and how he studied all these narco-gangs and they come into a new town and they basically go and find the small-time thugs in there and they kill them all and they hang them okay, they hang them up We're and they make... We're giving them very bad lessons <laughs> about <laughs> No, 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 but, this is, but, but all, all they're saying is that don't mess with us and so you manipulate people around fear okay so those are the ones, if you're playing strategy without knowing, the, uh, thinking That's about those. The, it, 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 but I'm just using those as just example. You don't have to hang anyone up. <laughs> and then the, the big market things are trends, to anticipate where trends are going, is the rules. For example, Moore's Law, if you know where that, those things go. And market behavior, how the markets behave. So an example of also like market adoption of new technology. New technology will follow a certain path. And if you understand that, you can predict where it's going to go. So I don't think you could have the strategy discussion without thinking around that. And that's my last parting point. Mine is, is around uh, choice. There is a common definition. There, should, there is a universal definition about strategy. That's not important. The singular word I would like to leave you with about strategy is about its choices. And it's about 
tough choices and contextual choices. You want to go here, there's this context, this South Africa, this scouting, this sectoral stuff that's happening. So you're going to say, first choice is do I go there or do I go there? That's a choice. Do I deal with this target market? Do I deal with that target market? And why? You have to think about it. Why am I going there versus there as an end goal? Why am I choosing to deal with this target market versus that one? Why am I choosing to offer this product versus that product? Why am I choosing to be good at this thing and not good at that thing? These are all choices. So, but it requires you to think about that and, and make disciplined choices. And this combination of choices is what gets you going and gets traction. Most people are scared to make choice. And so that's the big thing. So think about strategy, think about choosing and think about choice. Just think about that word choice. What a great conversation. I've been chastised, corrected, informed, and have taken so much from what Alon Kumaran and Mark have shared. Remember to keep eyes on Racecorp's website and social media accounts for updates on the next Deep Dive event and more. I'm Gareth Armstrong, and it has been a pleasure. <laughs>